0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the not so rare podcast. This is Taylor Lewis here with Liz Beauvais today. We are starting something different. We are on episode one of the rare disease Mythbusters, So we are going to be talking about just general myths. The population has about what life is like living with a rare disease. So we were doing a little research and we stumbled across this really awesome article. It's called the 25 misconceptions about living with a rare disease. It is on the mighty's webpage and the author, um, at the top, it says ADS. And so looking at that and just her profile in general, cause I obviously want to shed some light on the good work she is doing. She goes by AD Silva It says is the mighty's rare disease contributor, her passion for advocacy and helping others make real meaningful connections is what fuels her work. So really grateful that we came across this today and I'm going to have Liz go ahead and kind of start us off with the first one and we're going to talk a bit about it today.
1: Sure. And we will put a link to this within the notes. Is it called notes for the episode? We're still trying to figure out all that information, but um, we will have a link in there to you in case you want to either look ahead or read along with what we've been looking at or follow this person through their rare disease journey. So the first item on here, um, and this one hits really close to home to Taylor and myself, And it was quoted by someone named Lindsay, who said that one misconception about rare disease is that people think doctors and researchers are lining up to study you, do research and help you. And the doctors will know what to do with you. The answer is nope, nope, and nope. There are no adult outcomes, longevity, or lifespan knowledge for my children's disorder. We're literally figuring this out as we go along. And there's so much that I can break apart in that. Um, I know that we've talked a little bit how we're stuck between pediatric and adult care, but a lot of the research that does happen for our disease, is very child focused.
0: Yeah. And that's something Liz and I often talk about is that, you know, there's resources now for children. And that's been like a hard time, long road coming that even children have had access to care. But unfortunately we're not at a place where we're looking at, well, what's the care like for the adults? And that just hasn't, Been bridged yet. And so this quote just really sums up a lot. And I think it's common for people to think that doctors have everything lined up and everything figured out and how to treat you. But for rare disease, that couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, we have wonderful clinicians now. Unfortunately, though, there just isn't the research and there isn't the history of our disease to where we have like a standard to look to for people ahead of us and know kind of what we're in for with this disease.
1: And the other sort of unfortunate thing around our disease is there are several different children's hospitals across the country that do have centers that focus on our disease, but those are children's centers. And when you try to break it out to the adult centers, adult care is really set up very different. So it's not like there's like five or six adult centers that people would travel really far to that they could have focus on this. Um, there's a lot of adult centers in a lot of cities and it's just kind of that network, even thinking of how they would even try to transition a similar model into the adult care world. it, it The hospital systems are not set up the same way to be able to process that
0: a good point. And I also think too, it's hard to get some of these adult doctors on board to follow pediatric doctors and what they have to say. I think there's a gap between, you know, there are doctors that want to learn more about our disease, but there's no real collaboration between the two. I mean, we do the best we can to have like releases of information. So my adult doctor can talk to my pediatric doctor. However, it's just so different right now. And I guess the infrastructure really isn't there to facilitate a positive outcome.
1: Yeah. And it's something that I know Taylor and I, we get a little scared when we kind of talk about transitioning to adult care because it took us so long to be able to find the right care for us under the children's umbrella. There's also that level of trust. And even as we try to figure out what transitioning may or may not look like for us in different areas, it's hard to start with that trust. As you move up into the adult gene.
0: Yeah. And what really spoke to me about this quote by Lindsay was there are no adult outcomes, longevity, or lifespan knowledge for my children's disorder. And that's pretty daunting. I think it's something that we don't like to think about, but we really have no like grasp about what that, that looks like. And I think there's a big just kind of issue along that line of not feeling like there's a future for us. Obviously there is, but we know, we know the cases that go wrong and we know the unfortunate truth about our disease, but we don't like to put ourselves in that category. And I don't think anybody should until, um, something more serious comes along, but it's quite devastating to hear about The bad cases, but also not hear about the positive ones that are highlighted, like people like Liz and I, our age.
1: And I think that's one thing that we're starting to see come through with our podcast is as we're talking more to different people or about different diseases and different individuals reach out to us there are so many great stories of people out there living with their disease and managing their life with their disease. And I'm really hoping that our podcast and some of these other platforms that other patients have put together can start to shed light that maybe it's not as the typical long life that you would have expected, but there is an outcome out there for you and you can embrace that as well.
0: Yeah. And for sure to feel like you have value in this world and that you're contributing to something bigger has always been really important to me. Like obviously in social work, I, you know, my community is important to me helping just the rare disease population. And I think it's really important to remember that of course we have our horrible days and feel horrible, but there are so many other days too, that Liz and I are like really thriving and we're loving what we're doing. And we are functioning. And I think that's oftentimes sometimes gets overshadowed. And, and I feel that too, right. We're so much easier to take in negative information than we are positive sometimes. So I hope we bring some of that out here.
1: Absolutely. And I think our doctors do a great job of trying to figure out what the big milestones are in our lives and bring some highlights to that as well. Um, and I know even internally between Taylor and myself, we do share those big milestones with each other and it i think some of it is being able to identify what those milestones might mean to you and being able to share what those with someone that you care about and really be able to get the joy out of those milestones
0: yeah and i would say like just to highlight a couple for example to like graduating college was like the hugest milestone for me to know that i like started something and i completed it on my terms went through ups and downs but like got there And that was something that was, you know, highlighted by my doctors as well as getting married. Like that's something that was really important to me. And, you know, when you get older and older, these things seem more difficult to try and get to when your health isn't good. But I think it just goes to show like we're so much more capable of, of doing these things than we think we are sometimes.
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to go off with the next Myth. Um, I think, unfortunately, that myth still ha- still kind of held that, um, well, actually, no, the, it's a misconception that people are constantly looking to study you and research you. I, I would say that that did not ha- hold. It might hold for some diseases, but definitely not for all rare diseases that are out there. Um, so myth number two, and this one's from someone named Christy. When people say, I hope she gets better, I hope she gets healed. I know it's very well-meaning, but when you have a genetic disorder, every cell in your body contains your mutation, so that's simply not just possible. I just smile now. I've stopped trying to explain it.
0: Uh, I feel this on so, you know, how many people have come up to me and giving me like unsolicited medical advice? Uh, I had this (laughs) bless her heart, right? Like, you know, these people mean well, but sometimes it just comes across just so wrong this sweet lady came up to me and um, I think I was at the hospital at the time and she was just making conversation. And um, I think it was right after my back surgery. And she's like, I used to have a bad back. You know what helped me? And she was like, you know, I did like a little physical therapy. Um, I really got into the elliptical and like that really helps like open my back up and make everything run smoother. And I'm just like thinking to myself, like, we're not all the same. We are not all the same. You cannot treat us all the same. Um, unfortunately there's currently no cure to this disease and I'm accepting that. And I just, I get frustrated with like the holistic viewpoints too. Cause of course we need to incorporate some of that into our care. However, medication is what works for me. Interventions are what works for me. So yeah, that's how I feel about that. What about you?
1: So. I was actually looking at this in a different way. And um, I think it's really interesting. It's something that I've learned. I had knew nothing about genetics and I still don't think I know anything about genetics. But what's interesting about Taylor's disease and my disease is that it's a somatic mutation. So what that means is that not every cell of our body has this genetic disorder. Um, so I think it's actually interesting that you could actually have a genetic disorder but it wouldn't show up in every single part of your body. So that's why Taylor and I might have things in different organs or different parts of our body, but it's not affecting everything. And I think it's so interesting the way that at least as a patient, I'm learning about genetics is a lot different than what I think I learned about genetics when I was in high school and you're in your biology class and you're learning like your genetics are like this, or it could be like this or that. Well, no, you could actually have like a a quilt of genetics of genetic issues with you, but it won't appear everywhere.
0: Yeah, it is really interesting. I think too, like that kind of goes back to what you had mentioned in one of our previous podcasts. If I think it was the research one about like when they did your genetic testing and it was identifiable in what, like 8% of your cells, which just goes to show.
1: And it's interesting too how far genetics has come to even be able to find it in such small percentages of ourselves, I know it's certain labs that do it and there's certain genetic testings. So it doesn't pop up every time someone and with our disease has genetic testing, but it's so interesting, at least looking at it from a scientific view that it, it doesn't affect everything.
0: So let's start talking about number three, um, by Juliana K. So if you're out there for any strange reason, listening to this, we're highlighting you right now. <laughs> So number three says, some people think that people living with rare diseases have no value and that we aren't worth curing. That's deep.
1: Juliana, I feel for you out there. Yeah. I I think that something as a rare disease patient that I know all of us have struggled with is when you find out that there's something going on with you that's so different And you don't have anyone else to turn to who looks like you, has the same sort of symptoms as you. It is very isolating. And I think it's really hard for the fact that a lot of those places that you might go to to be able to get help or to be able to connect, you as a patient have to make the commitment to try to get there. You have to go to a support group with strangers you don't know or well, right now there's a lot of Facebook groups out there for different diseases, but you still have to one request to join. Probably most of them require you to fill out a survey of some sort. I know I've had to fill out numerous surveys for all the Facebook groups I've joined, but then too, once you're in it, it's not like you instantly have a community. You have to work at building that community. And it, it's a really hard hurdle to get from where you have your diagnosis to building out a community to help give you that level of self-worth. And I I know it's hard to say your self-worth is connected to a community, but I really do think that a lot of these concerns that rare disease patients face is because they feel so alone with their diagnosis.
0: There's actually been a few times when I felt this. And I think it's interesting that we talked about number one today with doctors and researchers lining up to study you, because that's actually a time when I have questioned my value as a patient, because there's not that out there. There's not the doctors, there's not the researchers lined up in adult care to, to work with people like us. And that has made me question like, you know, like what is it being an adult with a rare disease? Like, are we not as valued as the children are? And that's kind of been a little bit of a struggle for me to kind of process and think like, why, why has nobody approached that?
1: And I also taking that a step further. Sometimes I feel like there are certain standards that people are looking for in patients. Like if you, if you read the stories that different hospitals put out there from their, from their PR teams, there's very interesting like characteristics about a lot of those stories. And I don't fit any of those characteristics. I'm not the right age for the hospital I go to. I am i don't have the dramatic story that the news station is going to want to talk about. And quite frankly, I don't think I'd want to be on the news. Um, I'm surprised I'm even on your podcast right now. So I think that it's a lot of that is just very, very isolating because you don't see where you fit and you don't see where you're able to add value. So then there's, then you start down this path of, well, maybe I don't had any value anywhere.
0: Yeah. And that's the big, that's the big question of purpose that I've pondered with. Like, I know we can think about all day. This could be a question that could take an eternity to answer, but like, why do I have this disease is something that has gone through my head a lot. Like, what did I do to get this disease? Or like, what's, where, where did I go wrong? Right. But I think now knowing like building a community and in supporting others and connecting others, like that's what I feel gives me value. And like, that's what I found like such a passion in is like connecting and just focusing on like how you can live better lives with this disease and rare disease in general. And I think Like there's so much value in each and every one of us and the experiences we've had.
1: And what I love so much about what we are doing as a podcast, I'm sorry, I'm giving us a lot of credit here, but I like that we're making, bringing our story to you, but not just our story, but the story of rare disease. We're helping give you a community without you having to sign up for a newsletter or join a, join some sort of meeting or some sort, or actually even talk to us. We're not Demanding you talk to us when you listen to us. It'd be great if you sent feedback, but we're allowing you to to process in your own time and space. And I think that that is something that I'm hoping is helping make a difference in your life. If you are someone living with a rare disease of knowing that we are here for you to have a community, even if it's not vocal on your end to us.
0: Yeah. Cause you know, going down to the nitty gritty of it, all we want is for everybody to feel like they're not alone. And even this has like really surprised me as we're engaging with a lot of you on like Instagram and Facebook. And like we said before, how much the comments mean, but like that truly enhances like my own thoughts of value with this rare disease. And like, I'm just so so thankful for that. So thanks to each and every one of you.
1: Absolutely. And every time one of you send something to Taylor or to me or to like our shared Instagram or Facebook, we share it with each other. Um, you'd be surprised how often during the day Taylor and I will send a little, little screen capture, video like, look like someone said to us. or so look what I heard or look what someone told me about our podcast. So we do appreciate feedback that you give to us and have given to us over the past few months. I I can't believe I've been doing this for so long now. Like we have a legit podcast, which is exciting. Um, but a lot of that is also because we we are able to continue because of the feedback you're giving to us.
0: Yeah. And I think last time we talked, I think we were at like 12 countries, I think, and now we're looking at 17. So I just love to see, us connecting and us coming together because we are so powerful together. And I remember just how alone I felt. And like the fact that we now have like 17 countries that I haven't even visited and we've got friends kind of globally. Now I'm just like, wow, you know, like we're not alone.
1: So everyone um, we're going to continue this sort of theme for the next couple episodes. As someone who loved watching Mythbusters as a kid, um, I'm, I'm excited to see what some of these other myths are and really just kind of talk about how they impact us, how they might be impacting you. Um, just the first three have really spoken directly to me. I feel like Lindsay, Christy, and Juliana, we speak the same language here with these myths. Um, so thank you all for listening. This has been the Not So Rare Podcast.